This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. Now that we have flipped the calendar over from Spooktober, it is now time for Noir-vember. Noir is one of my favorite genres of film. For anyone not familiar with it, it is epitomized by the pessimism and fatalism usually told in a detective or investigative story manner. The movies were originally made in black and white, with people uh, both lurking figuratively and literally in the shadows, and were about private detectives being hired to investigate a murder or disappearance, usually initiated by a woman who would not often be forthright about all the details. More often than not, she was someone who could not be fully trusted. You would get characters who would work outside the law while trying to get justice in the system that seems to punish everyone. The women were both eye candy for the men, while also fatally dangerous, and are often their downfall, giving the rise of the archetype of the femme fatale. Back in 2010, Mariah E. Gates coined the term Noir-vember as a way for her to catch up on a genre of film she felt she didn't know much about. She documented the film she watched, 45 total in that first month, on Twitter using the hashtag Noir-vember, where it gained immense popularity. As Gates became a more prolific film critic, the stature of Noir-vember also grew giving many film lovers and programmers a chance to show the gritty side of cinema. Noir had its heyday from the early 1940s to the mid-1950s. Several of the smaller studios catered almost completely to noir in the crime subgenre. The interest waned for several years until the studio system was dismantled and New Hollywood reigned supreme. Looking back at their father's favorite films, these new young directors in the mid to late 60s breathed fresh air into the genre, creating neo-noirs. The tropes mostly remained, but instead of black and white cinematography and harsh shadows, we get color films showing the real grime and filth of the world. These films even worked as parodies at times. New genre mashups occurred, including comedy, sci-fi, horror, and others. Once again, the genre faded in the late 1970s until the late 90s and early 2000s, where once again a new generation of filmmakers took a stab at the hard-boiled detective story, allowing them to be set in modern times and exploring new themes and ideas. On today's show, we're going to do a top five list, but instead of just our five favorites, we're looking back at our favorite noir films based on different criteria. We have one each from the classic studio era system, one from New Hollywood, a modern one, along with a comedy noir, and a noir film that does things so unique, it's kind of tough to classify. Rachel, I'm curious to know what your history is with noir films and how you view them. I'm, I would consider myself like a relatively new person to film noir um in that i don't specifically like seek them out but when i do come across one i love the aesthetic of them i think there's something cool about um that kind of really moody vibe that film noir movies have and i have a real love for like golden hollywood films and i think that part of that goes with like film noir like the black and white and I always think of smoke, like cigarette smoke, like mm-hmm. in the, that, that for me is like, a, and, and fedoras and trench coats, which that's basically Casablanca is what I'm describing. Um, <laughs> but I, I love that. Like I, I love the aesthetic of it. And I personally never really thought that it came out, like it was very prominent past the fifties um, or I guess, yeah, like going into the sixties, I never thought that it was like a really prominent uh genre or there weren't too many movies about it but when i was doing like preparation for this i realized how many movies really do fall into that film noir um category and it's cool to see just the the i guess the progress that the genre has made and the way that it's adapted to modern times um because i know there's some films that just try to do like i think of 
Uh, I don't know. If, is Good Night and Good Luck considered a film noir movie? Um, no, I wouldn't. Consider Not that. really. It's just no. the aesthetic, I think, is more of just like yeah. that. But um, yeah, I, I think it's cool, like just seeing, you know, like John Wick is a great example of like a good modern day um, neo-noir movie. And it's, yeah, it's cool to see. So I, this has actually been really fun to prepare for this episode because it's been a nice jumping off point to like look at older movies, but also newer films that fall into the, the genre. It's interesting because noir probably more than any other genre has the most uh, criteria that needs to be met in order to be considered it because yeah. you could very easily say you can have a movie that, that features some of the tropes and things like that. And it's not really a noir because then you get into things like uh, a whodunit or a crime or a, uh, like a, a cops and bad guy sort of story where they're all sort of peripherally similar to the noir, but because noir has kind of its own stylings that make it unique, it's, it's very easy for something to be noir-like, but not really a noir. And then stuff that you think is noir isn't really noir at all. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And you know, we're going to kind of, I think, as we go through our different picks, sort of highlight reasons why it works for us in the noir aesthetic. Whether it you know be the 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 you know the 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 pain of light across someone's eye, or a smoke-filled room, or someone stepping out from the shadows, or double crossings, or femme fatales, or whatever whatever have you. You kind of need a little bit of 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 each of them to really create the noir genre. Even stuff like voiceovers is is pretty prominent in the noir yeah. genre as well, uh, which is going to play into one of my picks for fa- one that famously does and does not have uh, a voiceover. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think we should kind of get right into this. And uh, up first, we have the, the classic period of noir, something that came out between the 1940s to around 1960, uh, back when the studio system was in full play and movies were mostly almost completely in black and white. So I'm going to start with you, Rachel. What was your pick for this era? So for all of my picks, I decided to go outside of Hollywood and um, the States because I feel like America kind of has a very like a stronghold on film noir almost. Um, like I think that when we think of the classic noir films, like the Maltese file, like I'm Humphrey Bogart, I feel like he is, he is film noir. Um, and I think that we think it's a very American thing. So yeah, I, I kind of took a, a bit of a challenge for myself. I don't know why I did it this way, but I just thought I'm going to go outside of, of Hollywood and try to look at what the rest of the world has been doing with film noir. Um, so for this one, I went with Night and the City. Now, the main character in this is an American, um, but it is a French, or sorry, not French production. It is a British production, and it's set in London. It's actually directed by Jules Dassin, who is the director of your favorite movie, Rafifi. Rafifi. Um, yeah, who I gave you a bit of shit about it last week for Rafifi. Um but this was actually the movie that he was filming when he was blacklisted uh, into in the McCarthy era. And after this film was done, he moved to France and then didn't work again um, for five years until Rafifi. So this was kind of the the leading up to Rafifi. Night in the City for me, it's not my favorite of the genre. I have to admit, like I think that there's a lot of better, especially in the classic era. It's it's interesting to find. Um, like the classical period or the classic period is really difficult to, to just say one, because I think that's obviously it's the classic period that they have the most like film noir films that are 
aces like third man is an excellent one and that is technically a british production but um i went with night in the city because in the time that it was made it was actually really panned it wasn't um critically speaking it didn't do very well people thought it was kind of trashy uh, but since film noir became a genre it has like starting from the 60s basically it started to receive a bit more positive attention and now it's considered to be a pretty classic film noir film and like, you know, one that is almost the epitome of what the film noir genre is. It centers around an American hustler, a con man in London, and he's, you know, goes around and commits all these things. And, and then it, it goes into a chase with the bad guys. And, and he is not, um, it's not an investigator. There's not really any police involved. It's just a con man plus uh I don't even want to say they're gangsters. They're not really gangsters. It's just kind of shady businessmen. Um, and and they go on a bit of a chase throughout London. So seeing London in the 50s is one, very, very cool. Um, the aesthetic on this, the way that the film is shot, it's really, it's quite beautiful. And, you know, it's it's a really interesting movie to consider, especially if I think if you're interested in the history of the genre, this is definitely one of the waypoints that you should check out. I know it's on the Criterion channel or collection. I think that's what it's called. No, it's Criterion channel, the collections, their DVDs. Uh, but it's, you know, there, there's a lot that I could pick holes at and say that's wrong. Like the acting is very over the top, but it's, I think very, it's a movie that is very definitive of its era and of the genre that, would soon be respected because in the moment it wasn't quite solidified in the way that we look back on it as. Um, so yeah, so I chose night in the city. It's, it's an interesting film that I think that kind of cinephiles and that it's, it's a good one to check out. It's interesting. I've never actually heard of that one until you mentioned it to me. And so I, I looked up and it definitely is something I would really be into, especially it being directed by Jules Stass and, um, so yeah, thank you for, for putting that on my radar and yeah, I'll have to check to make sure it's on the Criterion channel and I'll watch it. And I think that's that Rafiki that, like, is better. I will say Rafiki is much better. Um, <laughs> it's Rafiki a much better is not a noir film. R- Rafiki is more of a straight up heist crime film, which True. as I was kind of saying off the top is, has a lot of adjacent points to noir and you could definitely see how a director can easily make either one, but it isn't really a noir. So it's interesting that he has made more of a, a true noir film. Yeah. And I I also just love the the idea that, you know, a genre that is so, I mean, it's not, it's not set today. Cause like you said, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what noir is. It's, Hey, like it sounds so cheesy and kind of slightly pretentious, but it's like, it's more of a feeling than anything else. Like it's watching a movie and it's the atmosphere and all that. And, and then like a few tropes that need to be there in in order for it to be considered noir, but it's, it can be kind of subjective in a way. Cause it, it's kind of how the movie comes off to its audience. Um, and I think that it's interesting to me that like before all of these definitions and all that came down, this movie came out and then it was like kind of placed into the genre later on and like being like, oh, this is actually very definitive to the genre. Mm-hmm. For me, this was also kind of a tough one because there's, it was the beginning of the genre and it really exploded in popularity. And, and so you had big studios making films, but also it really was a lot of the smaller studios that were really specializing in the genre and they pumped out, you know, dozens of these movies a year. So while I've seen like a lot of the classics stuff like double indemnity or the big sleep, which I am a fan of both, you can really go down a rabbit hole and, and almost have like a never ending supply of film noir. If you really wanted to get into it, 
Um, I know whenever I'm kind of like bored, I'm like, hey, I'm going to watch an older movie. I'll throw on Criterion Channel. I'll basically just go to like the crime or the noir section and and put something on from there because even if it's not a great film, I still kind of enjoy it no matter what. So I I love this genre and it's probably one of my favorites, but I don't think I would routinely say noir films are my favorites, if if that sort of makes sense. But I, I'm almost always at least very satisfied with it. Like, does that make sense? It is a very satisfying genre. I like that word to describe it. I think that it's mm-hmm. one of those that it's just like, it almost feels very... Um, like a like a warm blanket like it's just it's very comforting to watch these movies and i think especially when they're in black and white especially when they're like the cadence of the actors the way that they speak it's very distinct of a period it just kind of i don't know it envelops you in a way in in a certain way that um i can, maybe because it's so long ago as well like in a time that we can't actually like we've never experienced that. Obviously, we don't know what that's like. So it's it's left to your imagination, and you kind of. I'm sure we have like rose tinted glasses when we look back because probably living in that time wasn't as great as we probably think it was. Um, but it makes it feel like it's kind of otherworldly almost. Yeah, yeah, and and I think a good example is a movie like Brick, the Ryan Johnson mm-hmm. film, yeah. where he basically completely recreates the original aesthetic and puts it into a modern high school aesthetic setting. But stuff like you know the one liners, the the slang, the code, the the yeah. fact that you might not really understand exactly what they're saying, all that kind of really contributes together. That that really makes it really a fun watch for me. But absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about my first pick, and you know, I mentioned uh, the the two big films, Double Indemnity and The Big Sleep. Those are kind of you know the the one and the one A in the genre. But for me, I think my favorite from this era is probably The Maltese Falcon, which was directed mm-hmm. by John Huston and released in 1941. What have you ever given me beside money? Have you ever given me any of your confidence, any of the truth? Haven't you tried to buy my loyalty with money and nothing else? What else is there I can buy you with? I know originally you were looking through and trying to figure out what you want your picks. And, and basically one of yours was a Bogart film. Yeah. Um, very, very wide net because as you said, he kind of really does epitomize the genre. Um, you know, the, the smoking in the shadows, the, the one liners, the uh, women kind of like falling all over him sort of thing. And him having this like cool, tough guy attitude, which like it, it, he just, he really does epitomize it. And so for anyone who hasn't seen this movie, um, he plays a private investigator named Sam Spade, who is basically the biggest name in, in in noir books, basically. It was created by Dashiell Hammett, the author. And he's trying to figure out uh, what's happening after a murder. He was hired because someone was murdered over this statue that they believe is worth a lot of money. It's this gold-plated Maltese Falcon. It literally is what they're after. And he soon becomes embroiled um, in this mystery of a whole bunch of different gangsters and cops trying to figure out where the statue is. Is it real? How can they sell it? All this sort of stuff. It basically just ends up being this huge, big standoff in um, in this room, in this bedroom, living room, basically. And, and no one can trust each other. And you've got some great character actors like Peter Laurie and Sidney Greenstreet who show up in this as as criminals and I love them both and then of course you have Mary Astor who plays the femme fatale in this who this is pretty early in the genre 1941 still pretty early so they don't really have all the tropes set up but this is definitely a movie that influenced all the other films in the genre so by me saying 
I'm picking a movie that stars Humphrey Bogart. Does this satisfy you, Rachel? Absolutely. And to me, I, if you told me to like, how do you define film noir? Like, give me one example of film noir. Maltese Falcon for me is it. Like, I feel like it's, it is, it is the genre. Like, it's so, it's a great movie. I think this was also the movie that um, they, I don't want to say they invented it, but it, it was, that was kind of the, the, the idea of the MacGuffin like just a thing in mm-hmm. the movie that people are chasing after, which in this case obviously is the statue. Um, that's kind of, this is kind of where it starts from. And also there's like a nice Casablanca mini, mini reunion in there with Peter Laurie and Sydney Greenstreet and obviously Bogey himself. Um, yeah. I, I think it's to me, the epitome of the genre. It's a great movie too. And it's just a classic, a classic film in general, not just for the, for the genre, but just, for golden Hollywood era, like it doesn't get more Bogart than Maltese Falcon, I think. Yeah. And, and this movie, I think also really kind of signifies the, the pessimism of the genre as Mm -hmm. well, because Bogart really is a a very pessimistic guy who, who almost, you feel like he's a suicidal character throughout this because after his friend gets killed, he really doesn't care what happens to himself anymore, despite putting up fights and trying to solve the actual mystery. Mm -hmm. But then by the end of it, which I don't want to reveal the ending because it's, it's a pretty good ending. It's like such a, I don't want to call it a downer ending, but it's just one of those ones where like everyone's hopes and dreams get crushed at the exact same time. And it's sort of interesting to just sort of see the, the air completely deflate from everything everyone at the same time which i like that is very film noir as well like i think night in the city is you can draw some comparisons there where it's you know each of the characters like it doesn't really end positively there's no there's no optimism at the end of the film it's just kind of it's like ugh, like a bit of an uh but yet like kind of what we were saying that this genre is is very satisfying which is kind of weird because usually I mean, I suppose today with modern films is we, we look for a lot of, well, a lot of audiences look for something that is a positive end. Um, whereas I think film noir is known to have more of like a downtrodden kind of more pessimistic view on the world. All right. So let's move on to our next era. So we've got the new Hollywood era where films came out between the mid 1960s, to the early 80s. And my pick is Chinatown, which was directed by Roman Polanski and released in 1974. And it's sort of interesting. We were talking about the, you know, the the ending of something like the Maltese Falcon where just no one ends up happy. And I think this sort of is like the epitome of taking it to the next level because at the very end, you know, some stuff sort of gets resolved. More so the audience gets let in on what the entire mystery is. But the end, the, the, the famous ending line is, is forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. <laughs> Meaning like none of this matters anyway, sort of thing. Like you just need to, you know, this was what happened. You need to back away and don't worry about it anymore. Um, but yeah, like I know it's, it's, it's very frustrating trying to reconcile uh, art with the artist with a film like Chinatown and its director, much like how he had also made probably the greatest horror movie, in my opinion, Rosemary's Baby. He made arguably one of the greatest film noirs in Chinatown as well. So it's it's so tough to kind of separate art from artists sometimes with a movie like this that I really love. I think what's interesting is it's famous for being so incomprehensible that not even the director and the writer, Robert Town, who uh, wrote the original book, I believe, as well, knew what was happening at all times and there's a few threads to this where they're just like i don't know man like 
something happened. We can't figure out how it connects, but it, it happened. Just, just move on sort of thing, <laughs> which is almost like the epitome of something like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice, where if you try to focus on the details too much, you're going to get lost and, and you're going to be like thinking about what had happened two scenes ago, 20 minutes later. And so sometimes with a movie like this, you just have to like ride that wave and go with it. And this is a, a brutally dark film. Like a lot of the, the noir films from the 40s and 50s get pretty dark more so in what they're implying and what they say and sort of thing like that. Whereas Chinatown really takes it to that next level and shows you that darkness in the disgusting seedy underbelly of, of life and humanity that there is. Um, was this one that you've seen before? Yeah, it's a great movie. Chinatown. I, I watched it later. Like I just a couple years ago, I think I watched Chinatown. It was one of those like holes in your film viewing history where you're just like, everyone always talks about this. I should probably watch it. And, um, it's interesting, especially because I think when we grew up, Jack Nicholson was like the Joker. Um, what else was he? I mean, he he was he was pretty old by the time I think we were coming up and knowing it. And it's interesting watching him as a, a much younger man and very sprightly. But like, I you get why he has the reverence he has as an actor. And it's like these movies because even The Shining, he's great in that. But I can look at that and see see the Jack Nicholson that I think of that I grew up with that I know, not that I actually Mm -hmm. know him, but um, you know, (laughs) as an actor, I mean, not as a human being, but in this movie, it's like, it just shows him differently. And like, this is what, if you are, I I suppose our our parents' generation, like that's who they grew up with looking at. Um, And it's a different Jack Nicholson. I think it's like, it's different, but not like he still has that same kind of thing to him, that Jack Nicholson thing. But yeah, it's, it's, I I struggled a bit with this period because I actually not to say I don't like the movies from this this time period but they're not my favorite like they're not it's not necessarily a decade or a a couple of decades that I go back to a lot but Chinatown was one that I mean there's obviously like exceptions to that but um Chinatown is one that I think it blows past the reasons that I can't even really express why I don't like that period but um it, and it creates a really, really interesting story and super dark, like you said. And I think mm. the fact that, you know, in film noir, we tend to say like black and white, like, like you said at the beginning. Um, but because this one's in color, it makes it that much worse, you know? Yeah. And, and that is incredible. Like, cause I try to think maybe that movie would have been better in black and white. It's like, no, like Chinatown needed to be in color because you needed to see, like have that kind of visceral reaction to what you were seeing on screen. And, um, I like what you said too, about how, you know, the movies in the forties and fifties, they were dark, but this takes it up another level. And it's just showing like the relativity of film almost like in the forties and fifties, those were really bleak and dark endings. And I don't know if they like, that's why when an older generation sees newer movies, they get a little bit uncomfortable because it just, it takes it too far according to them, yeah. you know? And then by the time you get to our age group in our generation it's like we've seen a lot of nasty shit on screen um yeah. and i mean it is what it is but chinatown is is definitely like if you're tracking film or film noir as a history um as like a subject in history it's like this is a waypoint like that is a film that you have to check out because not only is it great for the decades or that era rather um it's a, an excellent excellent movie in the genre and a nice little connection between both of my picks so far is The Maltese Falcon was directed by John Huston, which was actually the very first film he directed, which is 
astonishing. And in Chinatown, John Houston has a part as basically the the main bad guy who is being chased after. Um, I didn't really describe the plot because it's kind of impossible to describe the plot, but it's basically uh, a guy is hired to figure out what is happening with the water situation in Los Angeles County and who is selling it to who and who owns what. It, like That's basically all I could say because... Any more than that, I'm going to have to go on like a 30-minute Wikipedia plot <laughs> description just to describe it. But I, it, it was really cool. John Hewson such a phenomenal actor. And he shows up and he's got this jovial personality, but he might be one of like the worst people ever on screen before. Like what he, what he is as a person by the time you get to the very end and you, and you realize who he really is and what he's done in his life, he is probably one of the worst people ever put on film. Yeah, agreed. And, like, there's been a lot of really dark and terrible characters that we've seen in plays, yeah. but or not plays. Well, yeah, in plays, but also in films. I don't know if I <laughs> plays. All right, Rachel, what's your pick? Um, okay, so we're talking I, – I extended the period just a little bit, the, the decade era, because um, obviously I felt the need to talk about a Hong Kong film. And it's not just because my family's from Hong Kong – and I have a deep, deep love for Hong Kong films, but especially in the 80s and the 90s. Hong Kong as a place is actually one of the greatest settings for a film noir. Um, when you look at, especially like a neo-noir, like a, a modern day one, because it has a bit of the griminess um, in the streets, but that isn't like necessarily dirty grime. It's just like raw grime. Um, at night, you've got like the awesome neon and there's a ton of alleys, alleyways, which is that's super important for film noir movies. Um, and it's just like it's a perfect place to set noir films. And I was actually surprised because when I was trying to pick a film, I was on the Wikipedia list of like what is considered like they what they consider to be neo noir movies. And there's quite a few Hong Kong movies on there. And I kind of understand why, because Hong Kong films excel the best at police gangster films that's kind of what they they do best what hong kong does best um and so i picked a better tomorrow which is a 1986 movie it's directed by john woo it was Zhao yun fat's breakout role um there's also starring a um dick long who is uh very very famous in hong kong he's like a very revered actor he never um like had any i don't think he has any kind of public persona in the west but in hong kong he's he's very well respected and very well known and then of course uh hong kong's beloved big brother uh leslie chung who uh it's very bittersweet watching him on film because he had a pretty tragic end to his own life um but he plays a younger brother who's a, a uh, who wants to be a police officer his older brother who's played by dick lung is um a gangster like a criminal part of the triads and um, Leslie's character doesn't know that. Zhao Yun-Fat is one of um, Dick Lung's kind of, the two of them are buddies uh, in the triad world. And it's essentially the, a movie about the fall of the two gangsters um, played by Zhao Yun-Fat and Dick Lung. It, the movie starts off with them, you know, kind of on top of the world. Like they are the triads that are very respected and feared. And then there's a downfall and I won't go into it, but like, that's essentially what it goes into. And, and, the it follows obviously with with the two brothers having um uh cops and robbers kind of uh 
relationship tension to it, shall we say. This movie is incredibly important in Hong Kong film, especially Hong Kong action movies. It's one that inspired a ton of other movies that came after it. Um, Like I said, Hong Kong is one of the perfect places in the world to film um, a film noir movie and a better tomorrow takes advantage of, you know, the, like they have the big trench coats, the smoke, the, you know, the John Woo gunfights that go really, really well in a film noir movie. Um, it's just, it's a really great take on the genre in Hong Kong and within the culture of um, what Hong Kong was at the time. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's a movie that it's inspired a lot of other Hong Kong movies afterwards, and then subsequently a lot of Hollywood movies and Hollywood filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino is um, probably a, a great example, a great director to point out of who uh, somebody who does action and heavily heavily inspired by Hong Kong movies. So yeah, it's it's. I couldn't do a film noir list without including something from Hong Kong. So I chose a better tomorrow um, partly because I'm not a massive fan of new Hollywood in Hollywood. Um, But it's also, I just think it's a, it's a awesome action movie for anyone interested in film noir, Hong Kong version. Well, I am glad that you are bringing some worldliness to this list. Uh, it's one I'm not even familiar with. Obviously, I'm, I'm very familiar with Chow Yun-Fat, and I've seen some stuff with Leslie Chung, uh, including Days of Be- Being Wild, and you had kind of told me a bit about him, learning mm-hmm. about him more. Uh, so yeah, this sounds really interesting. And yeah, Hong Kong cinema is is definitely perfectly in line with what Hollywood was doing with the noir stuff. Hong Kong has always basically been doing what Hollywood does, but sometimes way better anyway. So it's no shocker that they've made some excellent noir films themselves. I mean, I mean, Hollywood, they have a trend of not just with Hong Kong, but like just taking movies from around the world and then doing their own version of it. And not often is it as good. Sometimes it is. I mean, you and I have talked endlessly about Infernal Affairs versus The Departed or The Departed. And you know, I, I actually think that The Departed's a good movie, but it's, you know, Infernal Affairs is another one that was inspired by A Better Tomorrow. Like, A Better Tomorrow kind of sets the framework for what we know as Hong Kong action cinema. Um, and it's interesting that you say, like, Hong Kong is, is Hong Kong cinema perfectly kind of aligns with film noir. Like, there is a movie called Hard Boiled, you know, which is very much so a film noir thing, which is, again, another giant fat movie and a John Woo movie as well. Um, so yeah, John Woo did a lot of that kind of stuff, like taking that genre into um, blending it into his own kind of upbringing, I suppose, and his own aesthetic as well, and updating it a little bit, I suppose. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to our next section, which is our new neo-noir portion. This is for films that came out between the mid 80s up until today. The genre has changed quite a bit and is mostly interested in borrowing certain elements from the genre instead of straight up gumshoe detective story. Uh, Rachel, we'll start with you. What was your choice? So one of the reasons I didn't go with Infernal Affairs um, for, or sorry, I didn't go with Hong Kong in this one, um, in this time period, and it was because I wanted to include a Taiwan movie, like a little strength and brotherhood with uh, with Taiwan. So I chose a movie called, uh, the English title is Who Killed Cock Robin, which is a nursery rhyme, which I've actually never heard of the nursery rhyme, but I only know it a, a, a associated with this film. It's from 2017. It's directed by Cheng Wei Hao. Um, 
apologies for my Mandarin pronunciation. I don't, I can't speak Mandarin. Um, and it's starring Kaiser <laughs> Chuang. I, I can't, I, I shouldn't know how to speak Mandarin. I should learn. Um, this one focuses on a journalist. And that to me is like another interesting part of the film noir genre is like an investigative journalist who's going in and uncovers, yeah. you know, crimes and syndicates and all that kind of stuff. I, I like that as well. Like I like that kind of through line for a film. So it has a bit of a nightcrawler vibe almost to it. Um, and you have the journalist who witnessed a car accident nine years um, earlier. And he was after he, he gets fired from a newspaper um, firm because he wrongly reported a political uh, bombshell. And so he gets fired. So kind of for reasons unexplained, he decides he's going to dive into this um car crash because he discovers a bit of a personal connection to it that seems too coincidental to be a coincidence and um by unraveling and kind of digging into the uh car crash he discovers like a whole other mess of crimes and uh corruption and such on and so on and so forth so it's a Taiwan, I think, has really great movies. There's uh, some really interesting films being made there. The film industry isn't as strong, like the budget isn't big. Like this budget, I think, is like a million dollars or something like that, which is quite low for film. And the production's really good. Um, it's it's has like a great mystery that you're unraveling throughout. My biggest criticisms of the movie is probably there's too much. Like it's too much mystery. There's too many plot turns. There's too many, you know. Um, twists and turns to it. It has a bit of a Rashomon vibe where they tell the story from different angles as well, like different perspectives uh, from different people. And it's a great, like it, it is really a nice updated take on film noir. Uh, it has the kind of the aesthetic to it in terms of like the darker, uh, the darker color palettes and like kind of a bluish blackish color palette. It's very frenetic in the way that it's shot. Um, not too frenetic, though. That gives you like a bit of a headache. Uh, so yeah, I, I personally, I, I really like looking at Taiwan Taiwanese movies because I think that they create some really interesting stuff over there. And this is a great movie to, I guess, kind of get your feet wet into that country's film industry. Oh, awesome. That's another one I've never heard of, but sounds really interesting. And you're right that uh, the the journalism side is basically almost uh, the other pillar of the the archetype of the, mm -hmm. the film noir because yeah you've got you've got the detective and the journalist where they're basically both doing the same thing they're working outside of the law confines sometimes using dubious methods to get information that they need to help usually from a tip from someone involved in the case so yeah that's a that's a really interesting one and, and one I'm not familiar with at all so uh, thank you for putting that one on my radar. Strength in numbers with Taiwan. We we stand in solidarity with Taiwan. It's all about Taiwan and Hong Kong. There you go. But uh, yeah, it's a great movie. Absolutely. It's a it's a good movie though. Like it's interesting. Um, you know, again, I can I can criticize a lot of different aspects of it, but I think overall, it's like it's a very entertaining hold, and it's great mystery inside of it. Nice. So for me, my pick is The Devil in the Blue Dress, which is directed by Carl Franklin, and it came out in 1995. So here you need a job. What kind of work you do? I'm just looking for somebody. Daphne Monet. Fiance of Todd Carter. She's been gone two weeks. See, Daphne has a predilection for the company of Negroes. He thought he knew how to play the game. 
Any of y'all seen a white girl by the name of Dahlia, Delia, something like that? Her name is Daphne. You can't get none of that tonight. You know? Until he stepped into a world. Why don't you tell me about your friend Daphne? Tell a woman ain't good enough for you no more, huh? Where there are no rules. Why are you arresting me? This is uh, a movie that basically takes all the classic archetypes and tropes of the film noir genre, but uh, puts it in color, obviously not in black and white. uh, And it stars Denzel Washington. And the interesting thing that they do with this is he's, you know, no different than a, a Sam Spade type character where, you know, he's a he's a guy who, who knows how to work the ins and outs of the underworld. He knows who to contact. He has uh, tough guys that he hangs out with and kind of do some of the muscle for him, but he can also handle things on his own. But the difference is this is a film about how a black person experiences doing a same job that someone like a Humphrey Bogart character would. So because it's played by Denzel Washington and it stars like co-stars someone like Don Cheadle, every once in a while they are trying to get information and move the plot forward, but they have to stop because they are approached with uh, racism and they have to worry about that as their safety because normally, you know, you just have to worry about catching stray bullets if you're, you know, a detective or someone poisoning your drink or something like that. Instead, you have the systematic racism from all levels of the government and the police and things like that. So it's just such an interesting and fascinating look at a film that for all intents and purposes is a very straightforward noir film. But then when you add the race element, it completely changes everything and adds new depth and layers to it. And and there's this one scene in particular where, where Denzel's waiting for, um, a confidential informant. He's waiting at a pier and a whole bunch of, uh, young racist white kids go up to him and start hassling him and he can't do anything because there's some cops standing nearby and they're just looking on and watching it so he can't fight back he can't argue with them he basically has to kind of like remove himself from the situation as delicately and quickly as possible and get out of the way because otherwise he could be in some real trouble for his own life and safety so it's just such an interesting angle to take on film noir and one that i wish was explored a bit more I haven't seen this movie and I really want to watch it. Like I, you, it you mentioned so it to good. me. Yeah. And I, I thought I need to watch this movie. It sounds fascinating. Like it sounds really, really cool. Yeah. It's interesting because it's actually based on, um, a, a novel. So the, the character's name is easy Rollins and it's written by an author named Walter Mosley. And they, they end this movie with a perfect setup of him, like getting another case to work on. But because this movie didn't make a ton of money at the time, they didn't. They never made a sequel, and mm. I would. I would kill for another Denzel Washington, Easy Rollins movie because he, he does such a good job uh, as this character, and, and it's got such a, a really stacked cast. For, because at the time, you know, you've got Jennifer Beals as the femme fatale, and Tom Sizemore, who is a guy who can't quite be trusted, and then Don Cheadle has big breakout performance mm. as uh, the muscle sort of thing for his character. He's this really unhinged character. He does a great job. Um, but then it also kind of has shades of like Chinatown of like, it's just rich guys kind of pulling the strings of the plot. And by the time you get to the ending, much like movies like Chinatown and Maltese Falcons, a lot of the air kind of gets sucked out of everything all at once. And you're just like, Oh, what, what's going on here? But it's such a, a great watch and one I really loved. And it was like 
right when Denzel Washington was like about to peak, like start to hit his peak. So it's like, it still has a bit of uh raw rawness to his performance that he hasn't quite perfected the, the Denzel Washington-ness of it all. Um, but still a great performance from him. I like too how it's, you know, you're saying that it's different because it's dealing with racism and it's dealing with that. Cause you know, when we think of, ironically when you think of film noir like it tends to be like a very white person like detective kind of thing whereas you know it is interesting to see especially in a hollywood movie the take on the genre with a different you know a not, not a white actor being the head of it because it does add a little bit it adds it, it i mean it adds a different perspective and that's a different layer to the genre and to the film so i think I think that's really cool because i think generally I mean, again, when you think of film noir, you think of Humphrey Bogart and you think of that and probably him, like that image has, has just, you know, continued on um, in our memories as like, that's what film noir is. And so you don't, you don't necessarily think of like a Denzel Washington um, to, Mm -hmm. to, to take the lead on that. So I think that that's a really cool, like excellent pick. And I'm, I'm probably going to watch it maybe sometime this week because I, I i really recommend this one to everyone because you know it's it's not like i know some people have a problem watching older films and it's not that and because it's not in black and white and you've got a recognizable stars like denzel washington mm-hmm. and don Cheadle, so it's a super easy one to get into and it, it because it's a period piece it's not like they're you're watching maybe something like brick where because it is a contemporary film in the mid 2000s it already kind of looks a little dated the way they they dress and look and things like that <laughs> whereas because when you're specifically making a period film you it's easier to kind of get a bit lost in it funny how movies like from the mid 2000s they just look really outdated even though yeah. you know i mean it just, i guess it's just time passing but you know it's funny mm-hmm. makes us feel old but let's have uh, some fun with the types of noir films. Uh, the genre was always filled with great one-liners that can make you laugh. And like, there's, there's no doubt that the genre would eventually make full-on comedies. So for me, my pick for a comedy noir is The Big Lebowski, which was directed by the Coen brothers and released in 1998. Now, I could basically do an entire list of Coen brothers doing noir films. You know, there's stuff like Fargo, No Country for Old Men, Miller's Crossing, Burn After Reading, Blood Simple, even to an extent, Hail Caesar. So they definitely have a real affinity for the crime and noir genre because that's basically what their career is based on. And it's sort of interesting how their comedy films are very dramatic and their dramatic films are very comedic at times. (laughs) And so... The Big Lebowski is one of those ones where, on the surface, it's a stoner comedy about this guy who, through a case of mistaken identity, another common trope in noir films, when two hitmen show up uh, and pee on his rug and uh, because they believe he is Mr. Lebowski and he's not. He is the dude. So he has to find Mr. Lebowski and figure out what that was all about so he can get money back to pay for his rug to get cleaned. And... Um, he goes and he finally meets this Mr. Lebowski and he gets roped into finding his uh, young wife played by Tara Reed, <laughs> uh, Bunny Lebowski, and figure out why she has gone missing and figure out that. And so it, it, then basically he's just this regular guy, but he basically ends up becoming the private investigator type. And through his uh, bowling friends uh, played by um, 
Steve Buscemi and John Goodman, they kind of form their own little trio of investigative journalists slash detectives trying to figure everything out. And, and John Goodman's Walter Sobchak is the is the main catalyst of acting like he's in a noir film, even though he's not. Uh, I love this movie, and it's one I know a lot of people kind of have trouble with on the first viewing. I know I wasn't a fan of it after the first time I watched it, and it kind of takes a few viewings to really get on its wavelength. Is this one that uh, that you like, or is this one that you're you're not so fond of? I'm fairly indifferent to this movie, if I'm honest. It's like I've I've read people who really don't like it. Like I've I've heard the criticism of it and and that, and I I see where they're coming from. I, it's like it's a good movie, and it's like it's it's very Coen Brothers, though, isn't it? Like it's just it is them, and I see the entertainment of it in some aspects of it, but it's not a movie that I constantly like. I like I I know you're not a huge rewatcher, but I'm. Like I, I, if I really like a movie, I'll rewatch it until I get really, really sick of it. And Big Lebowski is not one that I've ever, you know, I think I've watched it maybe twice. Cause I think somebody did mention to me, they're like, you can't just go off of the first viewing. You have to watch it again. So I did watch again and, and it does get better. Like I will say it, it is a better film in the second watch. Um, but yeah, not one that I have, I, I don't have the deep seated passion for it that I know that a lot of people do. The interesting for me about The Big Lebowski is when you told me you were picking this one, I thought, that's a film noir. Like, I never thought of it as noir. But then when I really took a step back and I, I thought about the movie a little bit, and then I thought about the Coen brothers in general, I was like, yeah, that is very noirish. But it's not one that comes to mind, like, instantly when I think of the genre. Like, even modern takes on it or comedic takes on it. Like, I don't necessarily think of of Lebowski or, in general, the Coen brothers. but. Uh, yeah, I, so I, in that sense, I think that that's what's cool about the genre as well. Like, there's so many ways to go about it, even though it seems like a very strict genre at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it 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 is a little deceptive in its noirness, but it really kind of hits a lot of the notes. You know, there's, yeah. there's a scene that I, I think people often forget is they're being trailed by a private detective as well. Uh, so he shows up. There's that aspect of it. There's the mistaken identity. There's the rich man pulling all the strings. There's a missing, possibly murdered woman. Like there, this kind of really does subtly hit yeah. on all the noir tropes, which is what the Coens are so good at infusing their stories. But like you said, it really comes down to the characters. And, and this film is just filled with characters, whether you have John Goodman playing a Vietnam vet who always at uh, a level 10 uh, with his anger or Steve Buscemi who never has a clue of what's going at all uh, going on at all or Philip Seymour Hoffman who plays this butler who's the only person who actually respects the dude and then you have Sam Elliott that pops up halfway through and gives this weird cryptic sage advice which I absolutely love when he does when he shows up so this movie kind of has it all a little bit and I just find it absolutely hilarious like uh, when when John Totoro shows up as uh, Jesus. You said it, man. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. I, I love that whole sequence that basically is like a complete detour from the movie. It has nothing to do with it, but it, it, it's so funny and one I really enjoy. Or how uh, the dude is always drinking white Russians, and when he's being beat up, he's being careful not to spill his drink. Stuff like that. It's just it's just the little things that the Coens are so good at that that really make me enjoy this film. It's not my favorite Coen Brothers film, but it's definitely probably a, a top tier for me. Well, what is your pick for a comedy noir? Um, so I thought I I actually 
was very close to going um, breaking with my international thing here and just going with a Hollywood movie because uh, the first thing I thought of was Naked Gun. And I really like Naked Gun, but I don't know if that's considered a comedy noir because I think it's more of a parody of film noir. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that would have been considered, but I love the Naked Gun movies. I just grew up on them. Even I know O.J. Simpson is in them. I get that. But uh, And another one, I another Hollywood one I thought of was The Nice Guys, which is Russell Crowe and what's his name? Ryan Gosling, the two of them. I really like that movie. I know some people who absolutely hated it, but I thought it was a hilarious movie. Uh, but I went, I came back home to Canada and I realized one of my favorite movies from last year is, is a comedic, you know, noir film. And that's Kid Detective. So what can I help you with? Somebody murdered my boyfriend. Seriously? Pretty seriously. He was stabbed 17 times. Is it possible he was involved in drugs? No, he would never do drugs. Gambling? No, he would never gamble. Demon worship? No, he would never worship a demon. And it's Evan Morgan directed it, starring Adam Brody. I know you like this movie too. It is a dark comedy, film noir, gumshoe detective, whodunit, like kind of that classic, uh, all the classic tropes in many ways, but it does have the dry humor of Adam Brody injected into it. And the, the script is also like quite funny, but Brody definitely lends his own brand of comedy to it, which uh, I love the the humor, the tone of it um, that goes along with a pretty dark, like there's actually a pretty dark, you know, story underneath it, but it, you know, maybe, maybe it's cause it's Brody. I don't know. Maybe it's cause it's him. And, and that's how he tends to play. Like it, he's a bit more comedic in in his uh, delivery as an actor, but it's one of my favorite movies from last year. Um, I think it's an excellent, excellent Canadian movie as uh, filmed in North Bay. And I think it's set in North Bay as well. Like they don't try to hide it as an American city. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I think it's a brilliant movie. I hope more people watch it. I actually looked up where you can get it. And in Canada, you can watch it on Crave. Um, and otherwise, I know it's, it's definitely available digitally. It is is such a great film. I'm yeah. glad you picked this one. Um, probably I would compare this similarly to Brick as uh, two films that do their best to basically be as true to the original noir intentions yeah. as possible while keeping them in a modern contemporary setting, which is, is really kind of a hard thing to do because you, you really have to be on that wavelength specifically as a filmmaker and all the performers have to be on the exact same page. And this movie does that, and it's so it's so great. It's a little tiny movie that, like most people, I'm sure will have never heard of. I know Adam Brody isn't the biggest star anymore as he used to be back in his OC days, but he does give such a great performance as this guy who was a former child detective who grew up but never outgrew solving, you know, who stole the money from the cookie jar yeah. type of crimes. <laughs> and when he's finally faced with a real crime of uh, missing or murdered woman who is his friend his childhood friend uh things get really dark yeah and it's interesting despite this being a comedy through you know the three quarters this might be probably one of the darkest bleakest endings i've seen in films in quite a while it is deceptively dark like it's i went into it not and i think you did the same like we both went into it not knowing the movie kind of like it was just I think I watched it because I was like, oh, it's a Canadian movie and it's got Adam Brody in it. Okay. Like Seth Cohen forever. I will watch this. Cool. And then <laughs> you're watching it and you're like, oh, it's, it's kind of funny. Like it's a little, little quippy because it's Adam Brody. 
And then it just goes so dark, but it's very, very captivating. It's a really compelling movie. And yeah, like I, I wish, like I hope more people, cause I know Canadian films don't get the biggest audience, like even within Canada, like it's kind of unfortunate. Um, and a lot of the times it's, God, I mean, the movies aren't great. Like a lot of Canadian movies aren't that great and it's unfortunate, but um, this is definitely a, a, like a big shining spot within Canadian films. And um, like, yeah, comparing it to brick is, is very apt. Like it's definitely one that tries to keep that, that old school film noir stuff and just plunk it into contemporary days. You know, I think, I think mm-hmm. what was this made? Like 2019, I think they filmed it, something <laughs> like that. So yeah, so it's very, it's very modern and, uh, but it doesn't feel like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like sometimes modern movies have the tendency of maybe relying on technology too much or something like that, but this doesn't do that. Like it's, it, I don't know, very grounded and it's just, it's very, uh, it feels very lived in as a movie. Mm -hmm. Now the last kind of noir isn't really a specific genre, but instead how do other genres or styles take on the noir style? I'm curious to know what your pick uh, for a noir film that does something different and how so. So I went with a movie that potentially isn't unique take anymore. Like, I don't know if it's that shocking anymore. It probably isn't that shocking anymore, but for the time it was. um, And I know I always give you shit for being like the bougie everyday man. Um, But I went Mm -hmm. to, to France you know, before just at the cusp of the French new wave movement. So I'll be the bougie one this week. And I went with a movie called, uh, the English name is Breathless. 1960 It's directed by Jean-Luc Godard stars uh, Jean-Paul Bemondo and Jean, two Jeans, which I find is interesting. <laughs> Seberg. And it is a green Seberg. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, is it not? Yeah, I guess you're right. It would be Jean, but it's like Jean cause it's French. <laughs> Anyways. Well, she's American. Yeah, she is American. <laughs> but yeah. just, it's Jean and Jean. Jean. Yeah. Jean. Jean in okay. French. <laughs> like, if she were there, wouldn't they call her Jean? Don't you think? Uh, I, I don't know. Anyways, this is besides okay. the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a crime drama. Uh, Jean-Paul Bamondo plays uh, Michel, who is... Uh, it's, a ben- like, it's a criminal on the run. Like, it's quite... It has that typical um, film noir aspect to it of, you know, it's a criminal on the run around uh, away from the police. You have your uh, female, I don't say protagonist, but like you have your female component, uh, the love interest, the one who's going to help kind of drive the movie a bit forward. But the thing I like about this movie is number one within it is a really complex and interesting love story in terms of the way that the film is shot, it's at, again, for the time being jump shoddy. And I mean, jump shots today aren't unheard of. um, But at the time they were quite new and, and also a really common uh, criticism. A lot of films get, and one that I levy as well is this idea of saying like, you want to trim the fat of a movie. Like this movie is just, it's too much. Like there's too, it's bloated. It's got too much stuff. And for a long time, that's kind of how it was. Like you only included scenes in films that were relevant to the story. And especially in a film noir, because they tend to be a mystery or they tend to be, you know, uncovering something or, or on the run from something. Um, you know, you, you cut to the, you cut to the chase and it's just, that's the movie. But what Godard did with this one and what we'll see in all the like kind of 
the new the new wave films like take a cue from this is you build a world um, around it that is very fatty. Like it does have fat and it's okay. Like it's kind of, it's like an avocado, like it's good fats, like it's stuff that's good <laughs> for you. Um, and there's a lot of dialogue that doesn't serve the, the film noir kind of storyline within it, but it builds this really kind of beautiful world around it and including this really complex love story um, that isn't typically seen like not in the way not as in depth as the love story in this film goes and um it's probably i mean it's godard's it was his first movie which is pretty shocking um to me because in you know i saw a comment online from roger ebert when he was talking about this movie about how he compared it to citizen kane as being like these momentous first films from these directors who are going to be incredibly prolific and very, very influential to the world. And um, not just within their countries and not just within a specific genre, but just in general. So, and I mean, like this film, like I said, it, it kicked off um, uh, the French new wave movement, which mm-hmm. created some of the most interesting films. Um, and I, I like, again, I know I give you shit for the whole period thing, <laughs> like bougie, non- <laughs> bougie criteria collection nonsense, but um, I mean, they're, they're great movies and they're unique and they're just, they're very refreshing. Even looking back at it. I mean, the movie's from 1960. So it's like looking back at it, like so many years later, it still feels fresh and it still feels new and something really different that we haven't seen before, mm-hmm. even though so many people have been inspired from it since. It's interesting because, because of the jump cut that was created for this film, it still feels so unique and one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Like despite the fact that like today's generation is so like ADD addled where you can't focus on something more than a few seconds. That's basically what this film is. And it's still so jarring to watch yeah. because you're watching something and they're in the middle of a conversation and then it skips and they're in a different part of the conversation. And then the next cut is a completely different part of the day where they've arrived at the destination. You're like, whoa, 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 slow down here. What's going on? What, what is happening? What did I miss? And then you realize that the conversation wasn't even really that important. Yeah. It was just people talking. Like a lot of the stuff that they're saying and they're cutting from isn't pertinent information. Any of the pertinent information is there in full. Like there's a, I think specifically of the bedroom scene that's, that's probably has like some of the most information divulged in the film, if I'm remembering correctly, but like when they're riding around in the car, none of that stuff is really Mm -hmm. all that relevant to the plot. But it's stuff that you remember from the movie too, right? Like those are like big takeaways from the film is like those moments that like, it doesn't serve the story. And again, usually I'm very critical of that. Like usually when I see a movie, I'm like, man, this movie's two and a half hours long. They could have cut it down to like an hour 45 and it would have been absolutely fine. Um, Because you're just kind of like, it doesn't serve the story. Like this scene, what was the point of it? But I think what makes Godard Godard and why we don't have too many movies that are good like this, because he is a very one of a kind director. Like we don't, not every filmmaker is going to be as talented as him. It's, it is wasteful. Like it isn't necessary. It, it, you could have cut the, the, movie down by quite a bit but it felt it doesn't feel wasted even though it is wasted you know like it's unnecessary but you kind of want to see all of those moments and those scenes and the dialogue and you know it's i think it's it goes to this idea of world building like it's just you feel like you're really living within the world of the film and it's true escapism in that sense because 
in mm-hmm. real life, you know, it, your focus isn't solely just on this one specific task. Like you're gonna, you're gonna branch out. You're gonna think about other things. You're gonna talk about other things, even though that is priority one. Other things are gonna happen around you. And so, I mean, it, to me, it just goes to why Godard is as revered as he is, and why he is so good. Like we don't have filmmakers like him come around very often. Um, but in a sense you wouldn't because that's, that's what makes him so brilliant at what he does. Unique. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so yeah, I, I think your pick was really interesting because while it's still kind of, I don't want to say straightforward, but the use of editing in the romance Mm storyline is what makes that film unique mine is is unique in a very different way my pick is blade runner directed by ridley scott from 1982 i need your deck this is a bad one worst yet there was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago six replicants three male three female they slaughtered a blade runner's job is to hunt down replicants manufactured humans you can't tell from the real thing what's this Roy Batty, probably the leader. There was just one outfit making replicants that superhuman, the Terrell Corporation. Compared to your pick, this is a very, very straightforward noir film. Uh, You've got Harrison Ford, who's hired to uh, solve a mystery of some missing people and what happened to them, and he needs to hunt them down and capture them. And it's got all the tropes of, you know, Smoky in Shadows, a femme fatale you can't trust, um, harsh lights, all that sort of thing. The only thing, the difference is this takes place in the future and it's, uh, I don't want to say outer space, but I, cause I think it's kind still on Earth, but you know, there's flying cars and yeah. spaceships and robots and all that sort of interesting things. So I think this is an interesting one because you get as straightforward of a noir storytelling that you can, but done in this futuristic sci-fi way that is so elevated and so philosophical that it completely changes both genres completely. And I, I mentioned it earlier, this the concept of narration being one of the key tropes of noir films, and Blade Runner famously has... Uh, multiple different versions of the film. The original one had a Harrison Ford narration where neither Ford or Ridley Scott wanted it in, but the studio demanded it. And so he famously lazily recorded this with no emotion at all. And it was so terrible that they had to scrap it. So now there's, you know, director's edition, ultimate director's edition, ultimate, ultimate, ultimate director's edition version of this film where you can you could keep watching this movie and you'll always be noticing slightly different things that they do every time they release it. But the the proper way to watch it is without the narration. I believe some of the home releases do include a that version. Uh, I've never actually seen it in full. I've only seen uh, clips from it and it is really bad narration so it's a good thing they cut it out because when harrison ford wants to phone it in oh man Man. (laughs) i love harrison ford but you're right when he wants to phone it in, he does not he doesn't he he isn't subtle about it let's say that no now is this a movie that uh that you like i'm okay on it um it's it's an interesting version of sci-fi like i i i see the film noir genre within it but i always like i think i watched it because i do like sci-fi so much and i was like oh this is like you know very um it is the sci-fi of the sci-fi right like it's it's quite big but 
I find if I'm, and then this has nothing to do with the movie, but it's just, I mean, it has a lot to do with the movie, but I find Ridley Scott's consistent, just re-releasing with these new cuts and like fiddling around with his movies that are so old now, it kind of takes away from the film a little bit for me because I kind of go, because they are so different, like narration, no narration, like it makes a massive difference. So then I don't really know like what is the movie like which is the one that we should be that that you know according to him to ridley scott which is the one that we should be focusing on and this is like our final version does that make sense like i know that's kind of silly but yeah it's it's <laughs> it's funny I, I i do agree with you in it and it's something that maybe is talked about more than it should be and we should just be like great this there's this the version just watch it don't think about the other ones don't talk about it just just watch the the, the director's release that he put out uh, like a decade after. And that's, that's the version. Cause I, I've gone over this before. I really do hate, you know, special director's cuts and this yeah. is where you have to watch it and stuff like that. Where it's like, no, like the, the movie that most people are going to see, that's the version. Okay. Like yeah. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this bullshit where I'm going to watch five different versions because the director and the studio are going to argue over it over, over the course of a decade sort of thing. Now, what do you think of Denis Villeneuve's version? I really like it. Like yeah. I, I'm a big fan of, of Blade Runner 2049. I think it's it follows the the heart and the spirit of the film while still kind of doing its own thing. And the fact that like too often movies either spend too much time trying to recreate the original or trying to be so different that it refuses to even acknowledge the original. I think this has a nice balance of both doing its own thing and acknowledging the the predecessor before it. Uh, so I'm I'm a fan of 2049, but I do believe that the original Blade Runner is more of a true noir film, whereas the sequel is more of an more actiony. I guess I, 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 like it's not a real full on action film, even though despite there's several big set pieces that that feature that. Um, but does that make sense? Do you do you feel that the original is more of a true noir than than the sequel? I would say the f- the original like the story and then the way that it's told is more film noir. And then I think Blade Runner 2049 within its atmosphere, like just pure aesthetically speaking is, I don't want to say it's more film noir, but like that to me is where it is film noir. Like in that sense of like, I mean, I think Roger Deakins was the one who did the cinematography on that. And it's very, if you were to say film noir was happening in like the year, I don't know, I mean, 2049, but like say like many, 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 many years in advance when or forward where it's uh, the world is incredibly different. Like, I feel like the mood that 2049 does, and that's, it's just down to the cinematography of Deacons um, that makes it film noir. But I think the rest of it, you're right. Like it's not really film noir. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's the same, it's not the same movie, but like it's the same premise kind of thing. So it's kind of interesting that one film lands more true than the other. There you have it. Those are our, our picks for our noir vember. And I think we did a, a pretty good and interesting job of, of having a wide range. I, I love the fact that you you went real international with this. And so so thank you for that. Got bougie. Um, I got real bougie with it. Yeah, you got real, you, you got real bougie. Got bougie. You, you took the place of, of me this week. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Doing my part, creating some balance. 
<laughs> well, Rachel, where can listeners find more of your work and where can they find you online? Uh, I'm on rachelcage.com and I've had some website issues in the last few weeks. So very excitingly, those have, issues have been resolved. So there's going to be a multitude of content coming up, um, including my coverage for a film festival in Toronto called Toronto After Dark, uh, which has since ended many weeks ago now, not many, like two or three weeks ago. Uh, so yeah, so that's all going to go up within the next 24 hours of recording this. So I'm very excited for that. And uh, you can find me also on social media at underscore Rachel KH. That's Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Great. Well, I will make sure to link to that in the show notes then. You can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod and let us know what your favorite noir films are. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there too. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.